0: This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. Greg's back from Indy, hopefully with better internet service. But first, let me tell you the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Prize Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Greg, welcome back to good old New England. Uh, lots of buzz today all of a sudden a bunch of stories we got a story from the athletic we got a story from mass live andrew callahan and doug kite at the boston herald just jumped in lots of buzz about the patriots their desire for a quarterback at three have they made up their mind have they yet to make up their mind what did you hear out there at indianapolis
1: so uh basically um they have not made up their mind yet. This is so early in the process. To me, this is <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. They're just talking to these guys for the first time this week. And then you also have, um, you'll have pro day, you'll have interviews uh, at the pro day or around the pro day. And the biggest thing is going to be the top 30 visits. And I can almost tell you, they'll probably bring in at least, I don't know, eight quarterbacks into Foxborough to get a full day with them. Uh, along with the medicals that are going on. uh, To me, it's just – to me, it's ridiculous that we're talking about the Patriots making a decision. Now, do I think that they want to take a quarterback at three? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Am I almost 100% sure that they will take a quarterback somewhat high, either the first or the second round? Absolutely. But, you know, halfway through the combine, after just sitting with these guys – Do I think they're settled on this is what we're going to do? We're going to draft a quarterback at number three? No, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. It just is. Um, And so these are the things that I know. The Crafts absolutely love the quarterback on a rookie contract. They think it's the biggest deal in the world. They think it's a cheat code. They think it's all this stuff. That is absolutely a fact. Um, Mac Jones will no longer be here, probably in a trade at some point. Uh, Bailey Zappi's likely to go at some point in time. That could take a while. I mean, because they gotta they gotta figure out what they have. And the first step in all this is free agency, trading period, stuff like that. And that's even before we get into the draft. So, uh, yeah, I mean, are they gonna get a veteran quarterback? Yeah, no duh. I mean, you know what are they gonna do? Not have any quarterbacks next year? So, um, look. And here's the other thing: the Patriots have the number three pick. There is very, a very clear line between the top three quarterbacks and then the rest. The Patriots are in a power position at number three. Um, the best way to do business, and Elliott Wolf is he's experienced. He knows what he's doing. Um, he is going to keep all options open as far as the number three pick. And what better way, if, if you're looking at this as a not long-term rebuild, but a definite rebuild here, what better way than to kick that off than say all right maybe maybe when they get done with the quarterbacks at the end of the day maybe they like some guys in the second group and if somebody's going to come up be you know Atlanta or the Giants or whoever wants to come up to number 3 and they you're selling oh yeah we're taking a quarterback at number 3 the patriots i'm sure we'll get a report at some point in time the patriots love all three quarterbacks at the top of the draft you know it, it would be a dereliction of duty as a general manager, not to have uh, people thinking that you want to take a quarterback at number three. You know, it's liar season. The Patriots, even if they hate the top three guys are going to sell that they love the top three guys just to get those offers. So I think Elliot Wolf at the end of the day wants all options on the table and then he'll proceed accordingly.
0: All right. Lots to unpack there. First, uh, I would say that my reading of these reports today is not necessarily oh this is going to be a guarantee, especially Jeff Howe and Chad Graff. Now maybe Mass Live went a little bit deeper, but but when I'm looking at the Athletic report, it's very similar to Andrew Callahan and it's very similar to what you're saying, which is look, do they want to? Yes, they they would love to draft a quarterback at number three, if that quarterback checks all the boxes. And so I think there's a difference between want and a guarantee they will do it, right? They, they want to get a quarterback at number three. In a perfect world, all of these guys would check those boxes, and they would draft Mayor or Daniels at three, and they'd be doing jumping jacks in the war room. So I think there's a difference between wanting something and saying that somebody's going to do something. Secondly, as far as Kraft and the rookie-scaled contract with a quarterback, I'm not saying that, Greg, you're saying this, but I just want to make sure because of – A lot of the things that have been thrown out there recently about craft being cheap and lack of money and the NFL PA survey, which I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later on. A lot of owners love the idea of a rookie scaled contract at quarterback. Pretty much every owner loves that idea because you don't have to pay that guy 40 million a year. So everybody in the league loves that thought aside from the quarterback themselves and the last thing I would say to Greg about the power position, I was thinking about this earlier today during my podcast, Nick Cattle Show. You can check it out on YouTube. I was trying to figure out the smokescreen agenda. And I'm not sure if this would be leaked, if the Patriots wanted to try to get as much for the pick as, as possible. Because, like, to me, if you were trying to sell the Giants or another team on the idea of moving up for a quarterback, Would you not put out there that you actually weren't that interested in the quarterback to, to let them know and to, and to say, Hey, highest bidder, I'm not looking for the quarterback. So if you want the quarterback, you better move your ass up to the third pick. What wouldn't it be the opposite if that was what they were trying to do here?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think when you're talking about the top of the draft and trading up there, like say, for example, like the 49ers did with the dolphins, um, that it's a quarterback spot and that you're selling it as a quarterback spot. To me, it's, it puts a premium on the, on the value and you get more out of it. I mean, I just, if I'm a GM, I'm putting out there that, that we love all the quarterbacks, but you know, we'll listen to offers to, to see if anybody wants to jump off and give us sort of that, that grandfather trade, which is what I would be looking for, especially if, and it comes down to your evaluation of the next tier, the rest of the quarterbacks, in this draft, I mean, who knows? They might get to the end of this and say, you know what? Really, relatively, like, we love J.J. McCarthy or Penix or Bo Nix, and, you know, the best thing for us is to trade down a little bit, maybe get the tackle, then get the quarterback next, um, that sort of thing to set us up for success.
0: As far as the first report this morning, we should say, um, and that was from The Athletic, we should say that, you know, as far as McCarthy and Penix and, and Nicks, those guys were brought up in the story and nowhere in that story did it say the Patriots weren't interested in those guys or didn't like those guys. It was more, hey, you know, McCarthy's likely going in the first round, so he's not going to be there in the second round. Bo Nix might be actually, you know, kind of creeping up towards the latter portion of the first round. So if the Patriots were to wait until the second round, Penix might be the only guy that remains available. Again, it, it wasn't. The Patriots would not be interested in Penix. It was just kind of trying to to set up the framework of how this might all fall together. With all of that said, Greg. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I mean, I really don't know anything about these reports other than that I heard about the Mass Live report, but I don't know about the other reports. I'm just telling you what I yeah. heard um, yeah. at at the combine and sort of where I think the Patriots are.
0: With that in mind, Elliot Wolf said earlier this week that you know he looks at toughness. He he, he pushed toughness, 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 toughness. When looking at the quarterback position, along with body language, any idea if these top three guys fit that Wolf criteria?
1: Yeah, Wolf was—he said it in front of us, the general media, as a general like quarterbacks. It seems like all these guys are uh, meet their sort of toughness trait that they're looking for. He actually meant all all three of the top three quarterbacks. Now I don't know what he thinks about the rest of them, but I could tell you the top three guys they think they they all check the box for the toughness thing that they're looking for.
2: Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's a tournament season or the fight for a playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app, where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. Testing my skills on prize picks this season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into a thousand dollars with just a few taps. Prize picks is really simple to play and I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. Download the app today and use code CLNS for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Use the code CLNS for the first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy.
0: Let's continue with the uh, quarterback conversation. So the idea, you mentioned that, Mac. I think, you know, pretty much everybody's come out at this point point said Mac's gone. He's, the likelihood is he's going to get traded. The Patriots could get a fifth-round pick maybe for him. They, they might uh, try extra hard for a fourth-round pick. But Mac is as good as gone from many people on the scene there in Indy. Would the Patriots be content, Greg, if they did draft a quarterback at three, would they be content with that quarterback and, and Bailey Zappi remaining on the roster as well? Or is Zappi gone too?
1: I think Zappi's the type of situation that you either go through the offseason, whether it's um, OTAs or minicamp, or even in the training camp where you evaluate things. And I will think, that I, I, I would guess that Zappi would appeal to Alex Van Pelt in certain ways because Alex Van Pelt loves play action. He's one of the best play fakers ever at the position from from his playing days. And Zappi's really, really good at that. He is. And it's something we've talked about in the past about how, like, I liked Zappi over Mac Jones. Like, Mac Jones is a terrible play faker. It drove me up a wall. And Zappi's really good. And I think that's going to be, uh, part of their offense and so could it, and, and plus you know his his contract his you know his draft contract like it's it's cheap you know depending on depending on what happens in the draft I mean if they just get one quarterback in the draft I mean I don't preclude them from uh, maybe taking a later round pick that they like some of their traits because I remember I was in Green Bay when Wolf was there and one of the first drafts that I covered when they were there, and this is when they already had Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think it was, I think it was the draft, the after Favre was gone, and they dr- drafted both Brian Brom, and I want to say about the third round, and Matt Flynn late in that draft. And it didn't take very long that you were like Brian Brom stunk, like you <laughs> know, and so he didn't last all that long, and Flynn overtook him. So I wouldn't preclude the Patriots from from uh, doing something like that.
0: Brian Brom catching strays on the pod today. All right, h- oh, here's, he here's a, here's a smokescreen I got a- about this stuff coming out today. And all of this is just, look, trying to set up a plausible scenario. Greg, you, you mentioned maybe it's trying to build the value of the third pickup. Is it possible, is it possible that the Patriots not knowing if these guys are going to check every box for them, right? Not knowing if the guy sitting at three could check those boxes. Is it possible that these reports coming out today are more of a smoke screen for free agency, trying to get somebody's price tag down? Is that a plausible city? We've, we've read in some places, Jeremy Fowler was, was somebody, you know, at ESPN who mentioned Baker Mayfield. I'm not telling you that Baker, Look, Baker's likely going back to Tampa, but, is it possible that this is a smokescreen to some, some free agent out there saying, hey, if you think you're going to hold us over a barrel for $40 million a year, we love the quarterback options, and we really want to draft a quarterback at number three. Is that at least plausible here?
1: Uh, I mean, I guess, but I, I just don't, I, I don't see Wolf and those guys operating that way. I think they, they are more, um, you know, and really if you're Baker Mayfield, for example, uh, since we're talking about him, I mean, you know, that the Patriots might draft a quarterback like I don't really think it affects you or your market. I mean, he's going to have a market, at least three or four teams competing. And then it then it comes down to to how much money.
0: All right, let's move on from the quarterback situation, because there's other people on this football team. Other people may be leaving this team. So aside from quarterbacks, Greg, any intel on Mike Wenu and Kyle Duggar?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty clear, um, and you know, some of this is from Wolf's comments. Some of this is from talking to people at the combine. Um, you know, it's it's very clear that um, they are. These guys view this as a rebuild, at least like sort of resetting the foundation and the direction. And 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 I really think that they are more prone to spend somewhat. Um, and we even heard, uh, Gerard Mayo started to back away from his, uh, we have cash to burn comment at the combine that, uh, that they're more likely to invest in their own free agents. Um, you know, spend a bulk of their money there, look for some guys in free agency that makes sense from a long-term view. Like these guys are taking the long-term view. They're not going to they're not looking short term to bring in somebody to put them over the top. They're going to look for uh, term, age, ability to have them here. Certainly affordability. And so I think they're going to. I think they're going to try to bring back a, a bunch of their guys. Now, do I think that like Josh Uche is going to be back? Not necessarily. Um, I think that a will be a priority. I think that Duggar will be a priority. Whether that happens or not, we'll have to see in terms of his market, you know, guys like Anthony Jennings, I think they're going to try to, they're going to try to spend a bulk of their, their money in free agency on re-signing their guys, look for similar younger guys on other teams that are perhaps getting uh, overlooked. And then they're going to rely on the draft and they're going to rely on this coaching staff to, to develop these guys. They're going to, I could see them blowing out a large portion of their wide receiver room, Devante Parker, Juju Smith-Schuster, and, You know, you can use your cap uh, on dead cap to just reset everything. And I think that's what they have in mind.
0: So would you rule out any outside big ticket item? For example, Calvin Ridley, would you warn fans to temper their expectations and and say not really much of a shot at at a name coming in like that?
1: No, I look, it's going to depend on the market for a guy like that. I mean, I think that's the type of guy, you know, first a guy out in free agency getting his first big money contract. Um, That's the type of thing that they would do because he would be here three to five years. Um, So I think they will look long and hard at that, you know, whether they're going to be top of the market. I don't know. It'll be, I'm very interested to see how Elliot handles this because I'm not sure if we talked about this before. I, 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 I definitely talked about it, I think, on my solo pod when I, I I couldn't get any internet access with you. But, you know, Ted Thompson, when he was with the Green Bay Packers, used to give his front office executives, like the whole front office used to take the first weekend of free agency off on purpose because he's like, we're not, we're not spending funny money. Now, times have changed. There wasn't the tampering period. I mean, you sort of have to be in on the tampering period yeah. to get anything <laughs> um, because those guys get checked off and – you know, by the third day, even before true free agency starts, uh, you're you're on to the second wave, basically. And I, I, but yeah, I think I they will they will be in on guys like a Ridley, like not a um, Mike Evans. I I would be stunned if they did like a Mike Evans, a thirty something wide receiver who you don't know how long he's going to be at the top of his game. But a Calvin Ridley who hasn't played a whole lot of football um, is just sort of. Uh, you know, perhaps coming into his prime, those are guys that I could see them bidding on, but I don't think it's going to be multiple guys. I couldn't, see, I can't see them reenacting what happened in 2021. Just one
0: note on Ridley. I know a lot of people are like, oh, he's, he's 29 or he's going to be 29. Let's not forget this dude missed almost two years of football. So he's got fresh legs, yeah. he's got young legs. Mm-hmm. So don't overlook that. Don't just look at the age. Think about his specific situation and the fact that he missed almost two years and those legs are a little bit younger. I would also say, Greg, to go along with what you mentioned about long-term fix versus quick fix and all that stuff, uh, Karen and Chris and uh, who am I missing? Oh, Mark at Mass Live. Part of that story was that even if the Patriots do pick a quarterback at number three, they're not going to rush the quarterback. And I'll tell you, I love that. I love the fact that if that is true, if you draft Drake May and you feel like May needs a year of seasoning and he he's not quite ready to take over, I love this idea of the Patriots front office and Elliot Wolf and Gerard Mayo looking at the big picture and saying this isn't about 2024, this is about 2025 and beyond. Mm-hmm. And if we've got to sit this guy for a year, if that means his development is going to go better and he's going to be better in the long term for us then by all means do it because I I think that really is putting the football team first, Greg, and and not trying to satiate some of these fans that, that want wins right away with this new crew.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think these guys are going to be um, disciplined and diligent about how they rebuild this thing. And, you know, if, if the guy's not ready, like if Drake may, who's on the younger side of these prospects is, not quite there in terms of his footwork and, and mechanics and things like that. And you have, um, you know, Alex Van Pelt and, and Ben McAdoo and TJ, TC McCartney and as the quarterbacks coach and, and these guys, you know, know what they're doing with the quarterback position. They're, they're not going to, they're not going to rush it. It's the long-term view you're building this, this thing back into a contender. And just because it might be exciting to have the rookie quarterback out there and, you know, what are we left to play for? You know, now that we're you know four and ten, let's put the kid out there. They're not going to do that. They are looking at this as a long term, not long term, but um, you know, definitely a rebuild where they're going to build this the right way, and it's going to be brick, brick by brick, all over the place. And when they feel like they're ready for the rookie to play, when they feel like he's ready, they'll bring him along. And I do think that's the right thing to do for this team. You, you, too many teams get into it, and you know we talked about it with the whole Mac Jones things about how to ruin your young franchise quarterback in five easy steps, and the Patriots ace that uh, <laughs> with the former regime. You know uh, it, these guys know what they're doing in terms of how to how to bring up a quarterback the right way.
0: Before I forget, I just want to slide this in as well. What'd you make of uh, Bridget Condon yesterday on the NFL Network saying that Bill Belichick loved the Jaden Daniels? And that he was really kind of at the top of, of Belichick's mind when it came to the draft and that he was going to be willing to do anything that it would have taken to get Jaden Daniels here in New England.
1: Uh, I don't really have much of a comment on it. Um, it. you know now Bill's not even here and we're giving him credit for the it's just to me it's like sort of the same nonsense that we we heard before about like Bill gets all, all this credit and he for things that aren't really under his purview or, or in his control. And, um, but I do find it interesting that I'm pretty sure she's Tom Condon's um, daughter, Tom Condon's daughter who Belichick and Tom Condon hated each other. And (laughs) I would be interested to see which quarterbacks Tom Condon is representing this year in the draft and wondering if that's a plant uh, for the benefit of one of his clients.
0: Interesting. All right, let's move on here. I know that you did a quick pod on Tuesday from Indy about the Elliot Wolf press conference. Any leftovers that you might have not brought up? Anything more that you've thought about over the last couple of days regarding what he had to say and how he handled himself?
1: Um, not really. I mean, look, I just I think Elliot was um, really good. I just think... Um, you know, you can tell that this is a guy who knows what he's doing, who's been thinking about for a very long time that if he was put into a power position like this uh, with an organization, he has a very clear plan for for what that's going to look like, how he's going to execute it. And um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great deal for the Patriots. I mean, even talking to people in Indianapolis and people who have worked with Elliott or people who know of Elliott and also Alonzo Highsmith, um, who – was there and, and, um, you know, definitely Alonzo is one of these guys who everybody knows who everybody loves. And I just think like those two guys plus Matt grow, um, in a power position, uh, with the Patriots is, is a really good thing. And I think it's, it's good for doing business with the Patriots. I think that, um, I'll be interested to see uh, how the trades are done. Like for example, um, you know, one thing that I picked up in the last couple of weeks is that, you know, one team to keep an eye on for Mac Jones is the Seahawks. Now, you know, why would that wolf well, certainly Elliot Wolf and John Schneider work together in Green Bay. Right. So that's easy. It'll be interesting to see who Wolf and Highsmith sort of do trade with with. You could see John Dorsey, who is basically Elliot Wolf's mentor, is in Detroit as a senior personnel executive. You know, they have Jared Goff. He's not getting any younger. I of course they have uh, uh, Henan Hooker on their team, so we'll have to see how he develops and things like that. But um, I think John Schneider's a guy who, um, you know, looks back at his college evaluations of players. I think that he liked Mac Jones coming out. I, I think a lot of people are questioning what exactly happened to him here, and they're probably doing due diligence with the Patriots on that. But dude, John Schneider is one of these guys who's always looking for a good deal, and you know, Gino Gino Smith is not. Their franchise quarterback for multiple years. So, you know, why not take a chance, a flyer on a Mac Jones to get them evaluated? And I think one of the things, Nick, when we talk about compensation, and this goes for like Justin Fields as well. So these guys that are going into the last year of their contract, whether or not you pick up their fifth year option, um, you know, when you're looking at a Mac Jones, because, because you're probably not going to pick up his fifth-year option because you're bringing him in to sort of be a backup, sort of see what you have, you know, about a fourth-round pick or fifth-round pick would be sort of the, the sweet spot because if he walks, you could get a comp- compensatory pick for him. If you bring him in for one year and he does some things and, and people hear nice things, they sign him in the off season. Now you're basically, you, you haven't lost anything on the deal, and that's the type of thing that Schneider likes to do.
0: It's a smart point. I'll just say this about Wolf. I thought he hit a home run. I really do. And people might say, oh, Nick, you're going overboard. No, I'm not. And, and I'm also not telling you that this is going to work. I'm judging him off of the press conference, right? Actions versus words. What he had to say this week in Indy, I, I thought, you know, what else did he have to tell you for you to? believe that he knows what he's doing doesn't mean that he's going to do everything right or this is going to end up being successful but i mean he went in depth about his philosophy he went in depth about the quarterback position he went in depth about the you know how they're going to change and how they have changed the grading system he went in depth on you know the idea of culture and he answered every question i think that everybody wanted answered he answered the robin glazer question he answered the ownership question if you walked away from that press conference saying, oh, I feel like he didn't say enough, I, then nobody can win. No, nobody can win a press conference. Just forget it. You're not happy. You're not going to be happy. And don't even watch or listen to the press conferences. That that would be my suggestion. As far as Gerard Mayo, maybe he said a little bit too much, Greg, uh, early on in his head coaching tenure because Gerard, uh, he's, he's walking some things back. Uh, of course, yesterday – he said, you know, we, we compare ourselves. So when we're talking about being different, we're not taking shots at, at bill. And then he also with Karen Garigian in the, uh, in, at mass live walked back his, his cash to burn statement, your reaction to Mayo addressing those two things and walking them both back here.
1: Yeah. He's just, he's new at this and this is what you get. And he's going to, you know, walk into some minefields I'm sure. And it's, um, you know, it's a lot different as um, a head coach than it is as a player. As far as, you know, their quote-unquote shots at the Patriots or or the Belichick way or whatever you want to say. Um, I think people got to stop being so freaking sensitive. I mean, Thank you. you know, but th- this is also what you get when you choose, when you readily choose to succeed a legend. Um, this happens all over the place, whether it's, you know, the Cowboys or the dolphins or whatever, when you follow a legend, like people are going to be sensitive and, uh, it comes with the territory. So you have to be prepared for it. Um, but I have no problem with anything that they've said. Um, they needed to be different from the way Belichick did things, especially post Tom Brady. Um, you know, they wanted to, a lot of people wanted the culture to change and, um, I, I don't mind them saying that were, that we're changing some things. And, you know, if, if people want to be sensitive about that, I, I just think it's, it's ridiculous. They, they did need to change things from Bill. It had gone downhill, especially in terms of personnel and how they developed players, which they stopped doing, and, and you know, how they coach the players and, and the atmosphere in the building and how Bill didn't listen to anybody in terms of personnel and a lot of different things. Um, it, it's a new day down in Foxborough, and I think that shouldn't be embraced. The past is the past. No one's saying, like, the past wasn't good and all that stuff, but it was in the past. It was a long ago in the past. And so that they're moving forward and not afraid to talk about how they're going to be different, I have no problem with that. I'm
0: so tired of this. I am so – this is my chance to let something off of my chest here because I'm not on one of the two radio stations and I'm not part of these echo chambers and the voices out there. So I, I just want to take this as my opportunity quickly to address the nonstop. Oh, they're taking shots at Bill and they're going out of their way to take shot. First of all, the number one priority for Mayo and Wolf to me out of what they can control right now was to. Change the perception of what this franchise had become under Belichick. It was to draw the line of delineation. This is how we're going to be different from the last guy because we just won four games. We were just under 500 combined the last four years since Brady left. So this is how we're going to evolve. And you have to explain that to the fan base, I think. You have to explain that to free agents that, that you're looking at, prospective guys that might be on the roster next year. You have to explain that to guys like Duggar and Awenu because they've got to make decisions on whether or not they want to stay here long term. So, yes, it's somewhat of a PR campaign, but the, the whole idea is that you are trying to differentiate yourself between the last regime. And if you, if you sat there, here's another thing, Greg, and I don't know if you agree with this or not. If Gerard Mayo and Elliot Wolf were both up there singing Belichick's praises, I'm going to make you a guarantee. The guarantee is that at least some people that have been picking apart everything that's been said and saying, oh, they're taking shots. I can guarantee you that some of those same people would say, wait a minute. Well, if Belichick had it all figured out, why'd you fire him? If the culture was mm-hmm. well, if the culture was great, then why'd you move on from him? Look at these guys. Same front office. Gerard Mayo only knows one thing, New England. We're going to have a bunch of Belichick clones running around here. You can't have it both ways. You, you, you can't bitch about some of Belichick's culture and say things need to change. And then when the guys who get hired tell you how they're going to change it and what's going to make them different, bitch at them for saying that. Like, so w- nobody wins in this situation. It's, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. It's like, just think of this in the, in the real world before I move on. When a manager takes over, right, when a new manager comes in, in any walk of life, they will have a meeting with employees. What does that manager do? The manager explains to you how things are going to be done differently, how you might be handled differently. That, it's, it's in every walk of life. So I agree, Greg. And, and the whole hard-ass thing, you don't think Belichick knows he's a hard-ass? Like everybody calls Belichick a hard ass. Now he's Now now it's too much of a shot to go out there and say we're not going to have the hard ass vibe. Just give me a break. Give me a freaking break. All right, let's uh, let's jump on to J C Jackson here and in that story, uh, Mayo kind of sounded a little wishy washy, a little undecided on Jackson. Does that tell us mm-hmm. that he might be back and they're just trying to figure out this contract situation with him?
1: Yeah, I asked both Wolf and um, Mayo about. JC Jackson and uh, I was a little bit surprised by their comments Um, to me it sounds like they might be trying to find common ground and that Mayo talked about how basically that JC was hurt last year and wasn't moving around very well which he absolutely stunk on the field for the Patriots he was one of my worst graded players for the time that he was he was here Um, you know that's encouraging and perhaps uh, JC will will realize that uh, he doesn't have much of a market. So is it better for him to, there's no question he can't stay at and I think his cap number is like 19 million. Like that, that's not happening. And, uh, you know, maybe he s- stays here um, in a system and with people that he knows and uh, on a short-term deal, renegotiate his contract, basically rip it up and start a new one and sort of go short money for a couple of years to maybe get another chance down the road to be a free agent.
0: All right, let's get to the NFL PA's report card came out yesterday was not nice to the Patriots. Greg, Uh, just when you when you looked over that any surprises, any thoughts about, you know, Belichick and Kraft, they were both. I, I know their grades were different, but the rankings out of the 32 Belichick was 27th out of head coaches. Robert Kraft was 27th out of owners. Just, just kind of your reaction after, after seeing what was written in, in, the, in the grades that the team got.
1: I think my biggest surprise, Nick, was you know, we, last year was the first time we did that, uh, with that we saw those results. And you saw a certain thing with the Patriots, especially in regards to the family situation at the stadium, whether there's childcare, whether there's a family room and stuff like that. And the Patriots, like, failed last year. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, um, I'm sure ownership doesn't love this stuff coming out, but at least it's right there in their face and they see how they compare to the rest of the league. How do you how do you not correct that? How do you let it go on for another year that those are still failings for the team that you can't even like have a designated family room for your people or, or childcare and things like that? Um, to me, that's just, flat-out embarrassing. A lot of this stuff was flat-out embarrassing. I mean, you build a $300 million lighthouse that people can go to, but you can't treat your people correctly. Now, look, I'm not... I, I think the results of this stuff and what it means gets pretty overblown. At the end of the day, um, like we always say with free agency, if you give somebody their the biggest contract, they're coming here. It doesn't matter what the what the situation is. I mean, they do have, you know, good food. I mean, the weight room is what the weight room is. Um, it's, it's not the greatest. I, I am surprised that it's so low because they have expanded it a couple of times, at least in the time I've been here. But to me, they have all that. They have all that land at, at Patriot place at Gillette, that whole area, you know, they built the Rebs like a little facility on on the campus. Like, How do they not just like just revamp everything and build the Patriots like this? You know, special training facility that we've seen the Dolphins and other teams do. I just, it's not a good look for the Crafts. It really isn't. And quite frankly, I don't want to hear their them bitching about, um, you know, people referring to them as cheap and stuff like that. If you if you come up with grades in something like this like this every single year. Like, I don't want to hear you bitching about it. Like, put your money where your mouth is. couple
0: things. It's awful. Uh, it's it's embarrassing. Some of the things on here are just inexcusable, uh, especially what you mentioned, the, the daycare stuff and the, the treatment of families. And Belichick uh, also was really hit on this thing for for not, you know, giving players enough time to have conversations and not willing to listen to certain players which I think really tells you that another reason why Gerard Mayo and Elliot Wolf have been pumping the culture thing is because they're yep. well aware of, of the, the, the reputation that was built, which was Belichick's a hard ass. He doesn't listen to you. He doesn't really want to talk to you. <laughs> it, you know, it, it is what it is, as he would say. Uh, the other thing, though, I, I would point out. I, I was watching Patriots Unfiltered with, with Fred Kirsch and, and Paul Perillo, and I, I don't want to put words in, the, in, the, in the Fred's mouth here. But I, I don't know mm. if you'll have time, Greg, to check it out. Today's pod that they did. Um, but Fred was hinting towards something and, and he wouldn't go far with it. He, he wouldn't really finish the thought. And at one point, Paul said, I don't know if we want to you know, go that far or, or something along those lines. Oh, but it certainly sounded to me like Fred was saying that there might be something bigger coming down the road at some point here. And. Talked about how facilities are now different. They're, you know, how, how a lot of NFL teams have revamped facilities. They've also built facilities kind of close to the stadium. So, again, I Fred said it. I wouldn't bring it up if he didn't say it. It does make me wonder if the Crafts are well aware and they have a much bigger plan. And that's why they're kind of putting this, you know, the new touches here on the weight room for now, but not doing a lot else. Maybe they do have a plan that, you know, two, three years from now, you're going to have the quote-unquote Taj Mahal, a facility. Maybe, maybe. But right now, that doesn't justify what was on this report, and it it is absolutely embarrassing for the Crafts. And, I I mean, you've got to do better by the players. And, by the way, I'm not going to say this very often, but let's give Trent Brown some flowers here. Because remember, when, when Trent Brown spoke to A to Z, Sophie Weller at A to Z Sports, Trent said some of this stuff. Like, you know, the travel how families are, are treated and stuff and, and how players are treated. It doesn't mean that Trent Brown is a, is a hustler on the field all, at all times. It doesn't mean that he deserved the big fat contract extension. I'm not telling you that Trent Brown doesn't loaf a lot, okay? All I'm saying is he said that stuff publicly, and I think some people were like, oh, yeah, Trent Brown, all he does is bitch and blah, he's, he's lazy. Well, you, you can be lazy, and all of those things can be true, And also Trent Brown could have been spitting a lot of truth to us publicly about how players feel about the operation there at Gillette.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I I forget what Trent's comments were, um, but the bottom line for me is the Patriots just need to do a lot better. And they, uh, uh, their own facility, revamping the practice field, the locker room, like getting out of the stadium, like, that stuff's it's, it's, you know, and maybe it was affected by COVID and also the lockout at one point in time. But that stuff needs to be rectified if they really want to back up their words that they're a first class organization and all stuff. And, and, you know, it's just not all for show and empty words. Like if they're going to do that, they need to back that up.
0: All right. One last thing I wanted to ask you about since you were in Indy there's some steam behind this idea that Caleb Williams might not go number one overall. And it seems like, you know, Jaden Daniels is starting to get propped up a little bit. Is that just the usual combine posturing, the usual smoke screen, the usual stuff that happens this time of year?
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, look, I can't tell you whether Caleb's definitely going to go number one, but I can just tell you like, um, there's just going to be a, a whole lot of nonsense spewed. It's liar season. Uh, whether it's free agency or the draft and all that stuff, and um, yeah, I mean the the, the teams that I talked to, the the teams that um, where I know people and I talk to them at the combine, um, to me they were basically all on the same page. And this goes for the Patriots that they were just like, yeah, so we're eagle, or we're eager to get in front of these guys and start talking to these guys and diving into that stuff. And that they, you know they're so far from you know a definitive decision on what they're going to do. Um, you know, but most people think that it's very clearly going to be Caleb at number one. Now, whether that's the Bears or somebody else, if somebody else wants to trade up, we'll have to see. Um, but to me, I think there's a little question that Caleb's going number one.
0: Remind all of you, BSJ, fifty bucks for the year. Bedard and Giardi crushing the Patriots coverage. You don't want to miss that again. Fifty bucks for the year. Boston Sports Journal, and also thanks to Prize Picks, our new sponsor, for jumping on board here with the podcast the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. He's Greg. I'm Nick. We'll talk to you next week.